Why do millions of people around the world make such a big deal about celebrating Easter? Yeah, a lot of people do celebrate the Easter Bunny, but I'm talking about real things. Chocolate eggs and hams and all that kind of thing. The culture has kind of stolen, if you will. They've perverted and taken our focus off of the greatest event in human history. Why do people around this world celebrate in every culture and every people group and every tongue the incredible truth of Jesus? Because he was so unique. His uniqueness demands our focus and our attention. We've come to focus on him today. He is the most unique figure in all of human history. Jesus is the most popular, the most documented, the most studied, the most debated, the most polarizing, the most profound, the most pure, the most loved person to ever walk the earth. Any honest person would agree with all those. Jesus is the most influential character to ever live. He's changed, literally changed millions of people's lives and continues to to this day all around this globe. True students, true students of history, religion, sociology, anthropology, and philosophy simply cannot ignore Jesus. We don't have that option. He is either the greatest hoax in history created by people's need to have a hero. Everyone needs a hero. That's why we love movies and novels the way we do. It was either created, he was either created to have to be a hero and be a crutch for us to get through life, or, as the Bible teaches, he is exactly who he claimed to be, God's son who came to be our salvation, to fill people with love and to give them eternal life. Many scholars and historians, past and present, believe that the resurrection of Jesus is factual and the most influential event to have shaped human history. No other event has been surrounded with so much interest in, and investigation. Thus, it demands that we accurately understand its significance. And for those of you that like to dig a little deeper, I did you a favor. Uh, inside your bulletin are the evidences of the resurrection. You don't have to take it out now. It's really another sermon, but it's really a great thing that you can uh, review on your own time and look. And maybe you're wrestling. Maybe you're here today because you're curious, you're wrestling, you have questions, or you just want to be so reestablished in these truths. All of that's listed there. Secular sources of the first century, as well as eyewitness accounts in the New Testament, tell us of the historical Jesus. We know that Jesus was a real person with the most extraordinary life and death. So whether you're already convinced of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, or whether you're just curious... I know there are lots of people sitting here today and God knows you personally and knows your heart and knows how you've lived and knows where you are and what you need in your life. Everyone's welcome to come and listen. I invite you to lean in and gaze at this Jesus for the next 30 minutes. It could literally, literally be the most important half hour of your life. So the last day of Jesus' life, let's review. The Jewish Sanhedrin had condemned Jesus and he was handed over to the Romans. He was stripped, beaten, punched, mocked, spit upon, then crucified. He cried out to God the Father. He forgave his torturers. And he took on the sin of the world. And after Jesus cried, it is finished, he died. He was placed in a tomb which was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers. 
But on the third day, and we'll pick up the story reading in Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. He raised from that tomb. He conquered death and sin that day. On that third day and that morning, he was walking around in new life. Paul the Apostle documents what happened in those days and those months and actually years that followed. But in those early days when Jesus walked before he ascended to heaven, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul said, he also appeared to me. So the seemingly tragic ending of the story of this incredible Jesus being crucified takes a shocking turn. People left that day when he was crucified, sad, bewildered. Where's the hope now? Now he's gone. But Jesus changed it all. He conquered death and he rose from the tomb on that day, on that third day. Just like he told his disciples and others that listened to him that he would. Can you imagine the shock and the joy of the two Marys when they went to the tomb and saw those angels and seeing the guards falling back and shaking like dead men? What incredible joy. And then to hear that angel say, he has risen just like he said. You wonder what was going on in their heart just like, Mary, Mary, I, I knew it was true. I knew he could do this. We saw him teach. We saw him still the ocean waves. We saw him raise people from the dead. We saw him heal people. I knew he could do it. It's true. And they started probably just jumping for joy and off to tell others. And then you can imagine if you were a disciple and in disgrace and in fear, you left Jesus at his point of need when he was wrestling with the cup that the Father would have him drink, meaning the cross that was coming. And they deserted him when Jesus needed, them mo needed him most, each of them. And then to have Jesus appear to you after that being your last memory. What grace. Jesus didn't beat him up. Jesus didn't say, I have a video of you denying me three times, Peter. <laughs> he was so gracious. He showed himself. Their doubt and their fear turned to hope and celebration. Each of the disciples, the 12 of them when they were together, and then over 500 people at the same time. Pretty hard to deny that Jesus was alive. But what does all this mean, they must have wondered. We're told in Scripture very plainly what the resurrection means and what it promises people. I'm just going to make a couple points and we're going to look at some blessings. So the first point is this. Jesus conquered sin, death, and darkness so that we can cross over to life in his kingdom. 
We read how this is possible in Colossians 2. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So God being a holy and righteous judge, and we know one day he will judge the world and all people, but he's holy and he's righteous. He is just. And he said that there's a record against each one of us because of how we've lived our lives. In the garden, as Adam and Eve were created perfectly to follow and obey and love God, they strayed. We inherited that sin nature and strayed from God and his ways. You look at the Ten Commandments, and I don't think any of us would say, oh, I'm in good shape. (laughs) We'd say, wow, which of them haven't I broken? And I haven't loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm more selfish than giving. I don't have love. I usually have hatred and grudges and pride, and I have been greedy, and I've coveted, and I've lusted, and I've been an adulterer, whatever the sin. Our record before God condemns us. But what an incredible truth that Jesus, through what he did in the cross, He had it nailed through himself onto that cross. He took on your sin and mine. It's legal demand before a holy and righteous judge, the God of the universe, is that we would be condemned. But Jesus took the condemnation. Amen? He took it himself. We deserve to be hanging there. We know that the wages of sin is death. That's what Scripture tells us. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, I will be be the one to shed blood the blood for your forgiveness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. There was a transfer that happened that day for all that would place their faith in Christ and as it is today. To leave the darkness of being separated from God because our sins separate us from God. To leave the darkness and the sin and the regret and the struggle and the fraying of relationships with God and others trying to find life in the world and grab it and fill ourselves up and it never quite gets filled. And we still have all the peace and the guilt and the shame and all the garbage. Leaving that aside, the darkness of that kind of life and turning to the one who was the light of the world to come into his kingdom? What an incredible promise this is. He took the debt and he nailed it and it was paid in full for you and for me. What a great promise, what a great truth. He's delivered us from the darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus said, I'll suffer once for your sins that the righteous for the unrighteous would bring us to God. Wow, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? That the righteous one would choose to take on our unrighteousness and not just yours, not just all of ours, but the unrighteousness, the sin of the world. Jesus said he came as the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. What a heavy burden, what a heavy reality, what a suffering Jesus went through, not just physically, but to have his father turn from him because he he embraced the sin and took it on himself, and he paid the penalty. Boy, if there's anything we know about Jesus is he understands suffering. He understands what you and I go through when we say, man, life is so crazy, so nuts, I'm so burdened, I'm so stressed. I've got trouble upon tribulation, upon difficulty. Let me show you the variety pack, right? We can, we can relate. Jesus understands. And he had all of that and was falsely accused. And he took all, all that injustice and mistreatment and sin and pain 
onto himself to bring us to God. And one of the stories I love that Jesus told of the prodigal son, it's a great story, it's a great picture of the way the father looks at us as sons and daughters. You remember in that parable of the prodigal son, the son said, hey, father, give me my inheritance. And the father did so. This son took the inheritance, left his father, wanted to go live freely, wanted to take what was rightfully his because, you know, he was a son with an inheritance and he was going to go live in freedom. He was going to do whatever he wanted to do and he did do it. And the scriptures describe in this parable that he lived, he was crazy, just out of control, off the rails, drinking and prostitutes. And you can imagine whatever he felt like he wanted to do, he did. Trying to find things in life to fill the emptiness. Trying to just go, I will do what I will do. The, you know, the kind of the father, the, the captain of his own destiny. He did it, and he did it, and he did it, and he became emptier and emptier and lonelier and more broken until he realized the things of the world can't fill the human heart. Our heart was designed to be filled with God and with his love. He ran after the wrong things. He went down all the dead-end streets. Maybe you can relate. I hope that you'll stop running and turning to things of the world to try to satisfy the deepest aches and longing of the human heart. You were created and designed to know God and to have his love fill you. Well, this man, this, this boy, really, this young man turned back and thought, I can't live like this. There's nothing left. He lost all his money. He was feeding pigs. But he thinks back on the character of his father who was gracious and compassionate, and he thought, I will turn back to my father. I will see if he can forgive me. And we know the father in his love was always looking, scanning the horizon for the son that would hopefully prayerfully one day return and we read in Luke 15 20 what the father was like in his response to the son and he arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him that's not normal in that culture for a father to humiliate himself to lift up his road and run to his son the one who had blasphemed him taken his inheritance and lived and squandered all that in sin, the father turns with great compassion, runs, embraces, kisses, hugs, gets the new robe, puts a ring in his finger, puts sandals on his feet, and throws a party. That's the love of God for all that he has created and those that have wandered off. We've all wandered off, like Scripture says, like sheep. But we can return to the shepherd of our souls. And God welcomes us to do that. And we can do that because Jesus conquered. He conquered sin and darkness and death and separation. He conquered so that we would cross over into this new life in Christ. Not all people do that. No, not all people do. In fact, Scripture tells us that. That this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. It's a strange thing when God offers people forgiveness and a new start and a relationship with him, with the God of the universe, and they're not interested. They've become so accustomed to their darkness and their sin and their way of life. They're just unwilling and they're blinded to the truth that's in Christ, unwilling to turn to the light of the world because they know that their sin and their deeds are exposed. God knows that when we're exposed, 
and we know the truth about ourselves, we'll always have a choice to turn back towards self and hide more, or we turn to Christ. The Father's waiting with open arms. He's ready to embrace you. He's ready to love you. He's ready to put new clothes on you, to have a new life and a new heart and a new start. Praise God. He offers that to all of us. And John 5, 24 says, I tell you the truth, and Jesus is speaking. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has, can you say it with me? He has what? Crossed over. Is that the right verse? I think I got mixed up on that. He has crossed over. So I'm reading it. It says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus wants you to cross over, to leave the darkness and the fear and the shame. He wants you to come into a relationship with him so the sadness is behind you and the regrets no longer define you or burden your heart. He took all that sin for you. Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange that is, right? Can you imagine going to a store with filthy clothes and you go, here. And the person behind the counter looks at you and you go like, nice try, get that out of here. To Jesus, we can bring our dirty clothes, meaning our life, apart from him in darkness, the filth of that before a holy God. And he says, I'll take it. In fact, Jesus took it. He wore it. He paid for it. He nailed it to the cross. And he offers you new clothes, a new wardrobe. We are told in Scripture that we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And it gets better because he says, and even if you stumble into sin, because we're all human, you receive Christ and his forgiveness, you have new clothes, but you still have to deal with sin and its temptation. And what do you do then? Well, Scripture says, for those in Christ, sin will no longer have dominion or control over you. Because you're under grace now. You get forgiven and you get grace all the time from Jesus because you recognize that by grace you've been made new and you're walking with the king in his kingdom. And when you stumble, there's grace and forgiveness for you. What a promise. No longer under the control of sin. If you feel controlled by sin, addictions, things you, you might say, oh, I can control that, I could change that, I could drop that, I could be different. Have you lived long enough and do you know yourself well enough to say, no, I can't. I'll just trade that addiction for something else, for some other pleasure. I constantly run after the wrong things. And God says, turn and run to me. He gives us forgiveness. He conquers that sin and that death through his sacrifice and resurrection. He says, now sin no longer will enslave you. You can have victory. Praise God. He has conquered sin, death, and darkness for us so we can cross over and be in his kingdom. And then he says, you know, that's not just it. That, that's the beginning. That's how, how all people start a relationship with God. But there's actually much, much more. And that's the second thing I want to talk about are the blessings. Jesus promises us blessing upon blessing in his kingdom. He already kept his promise when he said, I will be crucified and give my life as a ransom for many. But I will be raised up on the third day and I will Return to the Father. He kept his promise. He did what he said. Very different than you and I, right? He kept his promise. And then he said, but I got more promises for you. And I'm going to read 10 of these promises. And I, I pray this would overwhelm you. These are direct quotes from Jesus 
Jesus says, Jesus says, Jesus says, let these kind of wash over you. It kind of reminds me of uh, what it was like for my niece who just had her 18th birthday and her daughter or her um, sister, younger sister, gave her a present. She opens the bag, you know, pulling the, the little tissue out of the way and she pulls out the first gift and oh, she loved it. It was great. It was incredible. She gets up to go hug her sister and her sister's like, oh, no, no, there's more. So she dug back in and then dug back in and there was more and more and more. That's the way you want a present. You don't want it the other way when, you know, you give someone a gift certificate and they pull it out of the fluffy stuff and then they're digging for more and there ain't nothing more. <laughs> No, that's it. That's it, right? With Jesus, that's not it. There's always more. I'm going to overwhelm you in 10 minutes with the incredible blessings of knowing the God who came to give you life and life to the fullest. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Jesus said, for God, this is the first one, love. He gives you love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said those words so that you could know you are deeply and unconditionally loved. A lot of people go through this life. Think about it. What's the driving motivation? To just be loved by somebody. It's really what all of us want. The human heart was designed to be filled with love. And until we get it, we'll chase all crazy manner of things or people to find that love. But only in Christ can you be deeply and completely loved. Even in strong marriages with people still wrestling with sin and growing and all that, we're still growing up in Christ. We still make mistakes. But to have the one who knows you the best, who knows the number of hairs on your head, say, you are completely loved. I went to the cross so all of the sin could be taken so I could love you and fill you completely. And I'm going to manifest myself. That means I'm going to reveal myself to you. You will get to know me, the one who loves you completely. Ready for another gift? Let's open the bag. Jesus said, this is belonging. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Don't you love being invited to someone's house for dinner? Especially when they're really good cook and they have tri-tip on the menu? (laughs) Yeah! You're like, oh, I can't wait. This is awesome, right? Jesus Knocks on the door of our heart. We see that in these words in Revelation on the heart of every human being that he created in his very own image. He knocks on your heart and he says, I want to eat with you. That's a very intimate invitation and desire. Not as much in our culture these days. It's crazy. We don't eat as much with people. We're too busy. But really in most cultures around the world and on our best days here, we slow down, we surround a table, we break bread or burritos or tri-tip, We just look into each other's eyes. We have conversation. It's rich. That's what we're created to do. Jesus said, I knock on your heart. I want that richness with you. Will you let me in? I want to eat with you. I want you to belong to me and with me. I want a relationship with you. Jesus also said about his presence. He said, I am with you always. The end of the book of Matthew. I am with you always. Do you ever get nervous when you're alone? Especially when hard things are happening and you're like looking for some help or some wisdom or some love, something. A shoulder to cry on, an ear that'll listen to you, a little help. Sympathy, empathy. 
Jesus said, you're never alone. I'm always there with you, even when it's hardest. And especially then, I pull close. Jesus said, if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. Jesus promises to never leave you alone, to always be with you. Sometimes we can be surrounded by people and feel desperately alone. And God never intended that for you or for anyone he created. Let's keep digging. Pull more tissue out. Here's another one. Jesus said, this is peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Wow, that's, he's just talking our language, right? We have so much trouble that we deal with and issues, difficulty, that situation, that bad news, that whatever. And he says, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. I created you to have a trouble-free heart. I can fill it with my peace. He says, the world can't give it to you. Jesus promised he could give it to you and wants to give it to you. His peace is powerful. Even with all the knowledge and Technical advancements, technology is at its highest it's ever been. We're still worried sick, literally, with all kinds of things. In this world you'll have trouble. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Peace I leave with you. Joy. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I love that Jesus is always talking about fullness. He's not a half-measure God. He's not a little bit. Hope you can get by with that. He wants your joy to be full. Anyone want full joy? Like to really know your happiness is actually much deeper. It's a joy that doesn't get rattled by the circumstances. It's not what you're getting from things or people. It's not how they're responding to you that gives you joy. It's the fact that Jesus lives in you, loves you, has forgiven you. He's given you grace. It can't be stolen from you. You can give it away, but Jesus said, I want your joy to be full and to be overflowing. That fills the longings of the human heart. How many of you would say, oh, I always wanted to have joy? Of course. He continues, Jesus said, provision. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I want to be clear. This is why I came. Fullness, once again. A full life. A complete life. A life filled with his love and purpose and direction. Just seek first my kingdom and I'll take care of the other things that you need in life. The provision is a gift from the God who already gave you everything in his son. Will he not also give you all things, scripture says. Of course he will. That's the kind of God he is. We just have to keep him first in our life and then wait on him to meet our needs. He also says, I'll give you rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Are you busier and more tired than you were last year? <laughs> any of you just kind of frazzled and you're just going like, I don't see any end to this. I don't see any end to the busyness. I mean, when you talk to people, Number one answer, the survey says, when you ask people how they're doing, I don't know, just really, everybody. Again, we wear it like a badge sometimes. Almost like the busier you are, the more I can have an identity that someone would respect. Christ says that busyness is like a heavy burden. It'll wear you out. Do you want rest for, for your soul? He says, come to me, I'll give you that rest. 
when we're weary, when we're tired, and that's just about every day, right? It's hard to keep up. He says, I'll be your rest. I'll allow you to be at peace. I'll fill your life with joy. My love is always there. I never leave you. Remember that. All of those promises, we come to Jesus. He said, I'll give you rest for your soul. That's deep rest. When your soul rests, your body can follow suit. When your soul is not at rest, your body can't follow suit because you have too much disturbance below the surface. When he quiets your heart and gives you his rest, it's amazing the effect it has on all your relationships and on your perspective. You want a few more? I got three more for you. The bag's not empty. Truth and freedom. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will, what? Set you free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The truth. A lot of people don't think there's truth to be found anymore. Oh, it's everyone's opinion. No, the truth is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is found in God's word. There is a truth, and it's him, and it's what he said. There is truth, and it will set you free if you embrace it. It won't set you free if you judge it, if you stay at a distance and you don't open your heart in faith. But he said, if you do, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, he will give you this incredible freedom. The enemy has lied to us, and sometimes we believe it, that real freedom is found in going after things my way. It's just my way. And my way really is apart from God's way, and it's full of darkness and sin. We're really honest. It's about me. It's about myself. It's, it's centripetal. It's inward. It continues to go inward. And that's why we can't get along with people, and we have so much stress and tension in our life when we give all that up and say, God, I need to hear your truth. I, I need it to go into my brain, into my heart, and my life. I want to explore it. He says, you're going down the road of freedom if you do. As you, the more you embrace it, the more freedom you have. You're not enslaved by your own weak will and choices. You actually are strengthened. His truth will bring you freedom every time. Jesus also said power. He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, lives in the believer. Scripture makes that very clear. You have power if you're a Christian. You're not. You have your own strength. That's it. <laughs> and whatever you can grab from others to bolster yourself up. God said he chooses to live in you by his Holy Spirit, and he will baptize you, he will surround you, will fill you with his Spirit. You'll know that you have power over addiction and over choices and over your fears, the things that hold you back. Power to leave those and move toward Christ, to see victory in him. Jesus was victorious on the cross so we could walk in his victory. The Holy Spirit helps you in that every day. What a great promise. And last but not least, and the greatest one really, and it just fills them all, and there's many, many more. We could be here all day. I think you might not want to be, but we could be here all day talking about the gifts and the blessings that come from him. The last one, Jesus said this. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you will be also. All these blessings, you guys, look at them all. The human heart was designed to need all of those things. And the human heart is filled with the one who created you, giving you all these things. The hope is this, that he's preparing a place for you. That he's going to come back and take you to the place with your name on it in heaven. 
It's already prepared for you in Christ. All you have to do is say, Lord, I will follow you. I will believe all this. I will bring my sin to you so it can be forgiven. So all of these blessings and promises can be added to me as well. Wow. Heaven's awaiting. We're not even home yet. And yet we get all that here on this side of heaven? That's not a bad deal. What do you say? That's pretty awesome, right? God has so much in store, so much blessing here and for all of eternity. Remember, there's always more with him. But then there's a choice, and that's what it brings us to. You know, we, we started by looking at Christ and how he's been investigated and thought through and, again, debated and looked into in his resurrection and his life and how he's changed so many millions of people, continuing to change millions of people. And if you're in this room today, the people in this room have a testimony of the changed heart and life and the goodness of God and all these blessings. But it always comes down to a choice. It always comes down to us with God, not us and a bunch of people and who did whatever. It's you and God, and he gives you this choice. And Jesus invites you to confess your sin and come to him for life. And I want to make this exceedingly clear because sometimes we get it kind of muddled or we think it's real complex. It's very, very simple. We start if we want to have this relationship with Christ and be in his, his kingdom and in God's family. We confess our sin. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It starts with a humble heart. The human heart, because we've inherited that pride and that sin, wants to rebel against that. But when we humble and just lay it down and we say, God, I want to rebel, I want to fight, I want to resist you. Why would I resist the righteous one who loved me, who went to a cross to prove his love for me? All I need to do is to admit my weakness and admit your strength, God. I confess that I haven't kept your ways, that I'm unrighteous, but I claim your cleansing and your righteousness. And then secondly, we've got to turn. We've got to turn from the sin. Acts 2 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I told you that was a gift. He said, when you turn from your sin. You're turning from that lifestyle. You're wandering from God. You've turned back to the Father. You have the embrace. You have the love. You have the robe. You have the sandals. You have the ring. You have the celebration. And it's never going to stop. And when you turn from the sin, you turn to him and now you live for him. You've got to turn and reckon that dead. I'm crucified to that just like Jesus took it on the cross. I die to that and I'm living to Christ. And why wouldn't I want to? What would stop me from wanting all that God promises me? We repent, we turn from that sin. He fills us with his Holy Spirit so we'll know he's always with us. And then we're told to believe and receive Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. That's simple, isn't it? But it takes humility as a child to humble your heart and to bow your knee to the King of Kings. To say, I got it wrong. Thank you for the truth that will set me free. That you came not to condemn Jesus, but to raise me up. To give me life. Not to take life. To give me life abundant and eternal. He said to all who receive him, he'd give you the opportunity, the right to be called the child of God. That you would be in his family for all of eternity. And that's your greatest identity when you do that. I'm a child of God. 
He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever drinks of this water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Are you ready? Are you tired of chasing the things that will never quench your thirst? Jesus said, come to me, drink from me, and I'll fill you with living water. You'll never be thirsty from your heart or your soul again. I will satisfy you. So it's a decision, isn't it? To believe that he is the resurrection and the life, that if we believe in him, he promises us forgiveness and eternal life. He promises us all those blessings and many, many more. The love letter from God to you, the Bible, is full of promises that you can claim for your life that are true for you, that God wants you to unwrap and to enjoy. But you have a decision, and we all do, all people do, to say, do you believe me, Jesus asks? Are you ready for me to forgive you and to give you a new life? We're going to pray in just a moment, and you'll have an opportunity to pray along with me to confess your sin and repent from it, turn from it, and turn to God, that you would have times of refreshing in the Lord, and he would fill your life with his love and his forgiveness. And for those of us who know Christ, to have each of those things that I talked about, to celebrate each and every one of them, and to say, Jesus, you are alive and you're alive in me. Thank you for reminding me how great your love is for me. So we're going to pray and just encourage you to open your heart to God. Father in heaven, we call out on your name right now, Lord, and we're so grateful for your plan to create us, to know you. We're sorry, Lord. Like our forefathers, we've wandered off from you in sin. We've chased our own way. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. But Lord, it didn't give us life. It's not giving us life. So Jesus, I turn to you today. If this is for you, just say this from your heart to him. Jesus, I confess my sin. I acknowledge my weakness, my sin for not living according to your law and your standard. I fall short of your glory. Thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross to take that record, to pay it in full. That debt does not hang over my life. It does not burden my heart any longer. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. I turn from that life. I want to turn now to walk with you as my Lord and leader. I'm tired of trying to lead my own life and figure it out on my own. I turn to you, Lord, to follow your wisdom and your guidance and in your strength. I desire to be a child of God. Wash me, reinstate me, adopt me back, Lord, because of what your son did on that cross and through his resurrection. Thank you, Lord. You are my conquering king, and you have given me life. And Father, for all of us that have known this truth before and have embraced it, Lord, I pray we would celebrate you with greater joy than we ever have in our life because you are amazing. You are a mighty king. You are the ruler of this world, and one day we'll actually get to be with you in your very presence. Until then, though, Lord, we have your Holy Spirit guiding us and empowering us as we walk on this earth, being a light as you are a light, Lord, to people that don't yet know you. So, Lord, we do celebrate you for those of us that just placed our faith in you for the first time, and those of us who have walked with you, God, be honored by our praise and by our choices and by the worship that comes from our heart. We worship you.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.